Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed for us. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today. We can shout. We can shout with a voice of triumph because of the blood. We can shout with a voice of triumph because of the cross. At the cross, He defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's why we're victorious, more than conquerors through Jesus, through His love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you could take your Bibles, remain standing just a little bit longer. Just going to go into our Bible study, I'm mindful of the time. Matthew chapter 20 and reading verses 25 through to verse 28. It will be on the screen as well, the slides. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. I got a little bit of a lingering cough. Now I just have a sneaky suspicion that I may have had COVID when I was in Timor. That would have been last Monday, so you're well and truly clear. But I've been left with a little bit of a cough, so I'm struggling with that cough. I didn't have any other choice there. I took my medication and tried to distance myself as much as I could, but I think everyone else around me there had it as well. So what do you do? Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto Him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, Jesus says. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That word minister is the word servant. In fact, some of you in your version that you're reading today, it will have the word servant there. If you wanna be, if somebody is great among you, let them be your minister, your servant. And whosoever will be chief, among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, He didn't come to be served, He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom. Everyone say give. Service, ministry, giving. He came to give His life a ransom for many. Going to talk about a few things tonight, but I'm just going to call this tonight the call to ministry. The call to ministry. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord God, as we hear your word, let us mix our faith with it. Help us to be able to digest everything that you want to say to us. Help our hearts to be ready to receive. Lord, that we would not just be hearers, but doers of the word also. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here today, also joining us online. But God, as your word goes forth, let it change us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You may be seated. The definition of ministry comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means to serve. To be a minister is to be a servant. Now, I know in the world today, even in Christian circles, that has been that is not actually always practiced in the right way. Very often the minister is on a throne even in some churches. Uh, my, uh, I have a friend, they, they hire a church in Perth and uh, the church that they hire, there is a big throne and they were wondering what the throne is, uh, 
and it's for the pastor. The minister has a big throne and many people serving him. In fact, he does nothing to serve anyone. Even his phone number is unknown. He preaches the word and everybody serves him. That is not a biblical concept. In fact, that's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus said, look at me. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And so ministry is service. Ministry is using whatever gifts God has given you to serve him and to serve others. To serve him and to serve others. And so we minister in three different directions. Everyone say three different directions. We minister to the Lord. We read about in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul, dedicate Barnabas and Saul, the Lord says, for the special work that I have called them. So Barnabas and Saul were called to do a special work, to minister to the Lord. The second way we minister to others is to minister to believers, to people that are in the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers. And so the scripture here, the writer of Hebrews says that you have shown your love for God through showing your love and your care for other believers. In fact, the scripture says that if you've done it unto the least of them, you've done it unto him. And so really, how can we serve God without serving others? How can you give to God without giving to someone else? And so we minister to the Lord, we minister to believers, and we also minister to unbelievers. Matthew chapter five says that we are the salt of the earth. We need to keep our savor and so that we can influence and minister to the world. So we minister in three directions, to the Lord, to believers, and to unbelievers. Ministry, and listen, this may be the most important thing that I say tonight. Ministry is how we are most like Jesus. When we are serving you are most like Jesus. If you want to be an imitator of Jesus, take a towel and wash feet. Ministry is how we are most like Jesus. And Jesus was adamant. Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And so ministry is so important. And every single one of us are called to ministry. We are all called to serve the Lord, to serve believers, and to serve unbelievers. We call it service, we can call it ministry, call it whatever you like, but it's ministry and it's service, it's giving. Ministry, a lot of people, <clears throat> they're looking for fulfillment in the world. Even in the church, people are looking for fulfillment and purpose. Ministry is the key to personal fulfillment. It is the key. When you start serving God, you're doing what you were created to do. When you start serving others, you're doing what you were created to do. You will find fulfillment because 
He's the one that formed you in your mother's womb. He's the one that has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for you. And you might find some satisfaction in some things in the world, but you will only find fulfillment when you're doing what God has called you to do, what you were created to do. So ministry is the key to personal fulfillment. And ministry is the key to kingdom fulfillment. The kingdom cannot be expanded without ministry without service and so we need to go we need to move from seeing ourselves as individuals in the field and to see the body of Christ as many members come together all doing our part we're not going to get very far if we're just doing all our own thing but God has called us into the body we are all different. We all have different talents and temperaments and, and spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about some of those things. But by ourselves, we cannot be productive. But when we come together, we go from being that individual with a sickle, just trying to make some headway. We go to being those big, these, those big harvesters that churn through the field. That is the way that God intended it to be the body of Christ coming together. And as a church, everyone say, as a church, we can influence and change thousands of people's lives as a church. Now, of course, the devil knows exactly the power of a unified church working together. And he's gonna do whatever he can to bring division. Division is like another vision. Division. Or for us to be divided or whatever it is or for us to think of ourselves as nothing in the kingdom of God. The devil would want nothing more than for us to think that our job is to just come and sit on a chair in church. The devil would want nothing more to think that, want us to think that church is the be all and end all. That if you just come to church, that's it, done and dusted. But like Bishop Downs always said, if you put a cow in a garage, it doesn't make it a car. A Christian is somebody that follows Jesus. And so there's a scripture in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Everyone say priesthood. Everybody say, I'm part of the priesthood. All right. I hope you understand that. God's special possession, a holy nation that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful or marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. Revelation calls us kings and priests. So in Bible times, we saw as the disciples began to minister, it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. But the Romans at that time thought they saw the, they saw the threat and they thought the best thing they could do is begin to control the church. And so in the medieval times, the church basically died. Why? Because people forgot that they were also ministers. They forgot that they were part of the royal priesthood. And so the church became organized, and yes, it was run by the priests. The priests, these priests, one person would do everything. They would do the preaching, they would hear confession, they would pronounce God's forgiveness, they would prescribe penance. And by the middle, the middle Ages, there were many languages in Europe by the Middle Ages, but church was still done in Latin. And so people would come to church, they didn't even know what was being said. But it didn't matter. 
They just came along, listened to church in another language, went home, they had done their part. Why? Because the priests were the ones that do all the ministry. The common people didn't even understand what was being said. They just sat there. Maybe you've been in a church like that. Some of you, I can see you smiling. You turn up and they, I heard my friend tell me, he said, I went to a special service. He said, it's like a pure service. They did it in Latin. I said, do you speak Latin? He goes, no. I go, okay, cool. You didn't get anything. <laughs> the priest was the mediator. They couldn't even go to God by themselves. They had to go through the priest, the mediator. They weren't even encouraged to read their Bible. In fact, the Bible was in Latin. They weren't encouraged to read their Bible. In fact, the Bible was even on the list of the forbidden books to read. It wasn't for the commoner to read the Bible. But let me tell you today, that was the plan of the devil to put the brakes on the church. But we need to see ourselves as the Bible shows us, as the Bible describes us, a royal priesthood called into ministry. We are all different, but we all come together as the body of Christ. We've all got something to do in the kingdom of God. We are all ministry. We've all been called into ministry. Somebody say amen. And so yes, God has given pastors and teachers to prepare God's people. But the Bible says in Ephesians 4, pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of ministry. And so pastors and teachers minister so the church can minister. So you say, well, pastor, what's my ministry? Now, I'm a firm believer that God is consistent in his plan for our lives. God created us. He knew us in our mother's womb. He created us all uniquely. No two people are the same. He created us. And I believe that our personal ministry will be determined by our personal makeup, the type of person that God created us to be. I mean, why would God create us one way and then require us to be different than he created us to minister? So I believe God is consistent in his plan for our life and that our personal ministry can be determined by our personal makeup. I've written this statement up here. What God made me to be determines what he intends for me to do. And I will understand the purpose I was created, when, created for when I understand the kind of person that I am. There are things that God has created in you talents, abilities, temperament, and personality. And God is going to use you. He's gonna use you the way he created you because he is consistent in his plan for our lives. Some of you got some, we're all got different talents, temperaments. We all got different spiritual gifts. And so when we look at ourselves and we look at the, the way God created us and how unique we are, it will begin to reveal to us how God wants to use us. There are two wonderful things that happen when we discover the ministry that we were shaped for. We, we suddenly find purpose or fulfillment because we've discovered what God had created us to do. And we then be, begin to become fruitful. We become, we find fulfillment and we become fruitful. 
1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, all of you together are the body of Christ and each of you is a separate and necessary part of the body. The scripture goes on to say, can the toe say to the ear, I have no need of you? Can the nose say to the to the, the arm, I have no need of you. No, we, God has need of every single one of us and he has put us in the body where he sees fit and we all work together, all separate, unique, but we are all working together. We are all necessary. And so my ministry, my ministry has universal elements to my ministry, what God has called all of us to do. There are gonna be parts of my ministry that God has called all of us to do. One of them may be the Great Commission. Well, it is, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's universal elements to my ministry, but then there are also unique elements to my ministry. What God, I, we could say like this, what God has custom designed me to do. It just fits. And so our ministry, biblical ministry always functions within the body of Christ. Your ministry will function within the context of your local church family. God plants people. Everyone say, God plants people. So you can't say, well, I found out what my ministry is. I'm gonna go do it on my own. I don't need the body. No, it functions within the body. You are part of the body of Christ. Now, some people may get the wrong idea and think they are the body of Christ, but you are part of the body of Christ. And that the power comes when we all work together with a universal mission, but with our unique talents and abilities, the way God has called us. So we must accept, everyone say accept. We must accept our place in the body of Christ. Now, when you look around and you look at everybody, we all look different. We all have different shapes. We all have a different shape, but we all fit together. Different roles, different functions, all working together. Now, Psalm 139, verse 14 and 16, and I've, read, I've got it in a different translation here. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, the psalmist says. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. You were there while I was being formed. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Breathe. David is saying, you shaped me in my mother's womb. Yet the physical shape, you can thank God for that. Your looks, you can thank God for that. Your inborn talents and abilities, your, your preferences, the things you like, you don't, God shaped you. Everybody say shape. So our shape comes from five things. Here are the five things that determine our ministry shape. Number one, our spiritual gifts. I'm gonna talk about that at the end. Our heart, the things we like, the desires of our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. All of these things will determine your ministry shape, the shape. So spiritual gifts, we're gonna talk about that. But the heart, ask yourself, what do I love to do? And if it's not sinful, oh, I love to sin. No, well, of course not. But ask yourself, what do I love to do? The things that you love to do will give you an indication 
of the sort of thing God has called you to do. So look at your heartbeat. Monitor your heartbeat. It's a test where you can clarify what you really love to do. And God will use you in areas that you love to be used. Things that you love to do. The next thing is what are my abilities? What are my talents and abilities? What are my natural talents? What are my skills? This is another thing that is gonna determine your ministry shape. Your abilities. Then your personality. Everyone say personality. Where does my personality best suit me to serve? What kind of personality did God create you with? Like I said, what God made me to be determines what He intends for me to do. And so our personality will, will align with our ministry as well. God is consistent in His plan for our lives. And then our experiences, and I wanted to stop there for a second because I'm a firm believer that our experiences will shape the ministry that we have. God doesn't waste our valleys. I believe God always works redemptively, always. And so even though you may have been through some of the worst trauma, the worst things in the world, God can use those things redemptively even in your ministry. There are people that have, have experiences that no one else in this church has. And God can use those experiences even from before you were saved to be able to minister to people now that you are saved. Now, I do my best to help as many people as I can. But I can only minister out of the experiences that I've had. And over the years, I've, I've helped a lot of drug addicts, or I've done the best I can. But unless you have experience, they're going to pull the wool over your eyes every time. And it's happened plenty of times to me. I've had... Had to look after people. Took them to the shop for lunch, turned around, they're gone. I ring the police, I lost him. Somebody who had some experience, somebody who had some experience would say, Pastor, you can't take your eyes off them. You shouldn't take them to the shops, they're gonna be tempted. Once I asked my mom and dad, they don't have much, they've got a little bit of experience, but they're like me. I said, mom, this person needs a, a place to stay. They're a young person, so they stayed in the spare room and then the guy went all through their cupboards and then gone. I do my best, but I'm not experienced there. That's just one example. There are many other things that we could use, but if, you, if that has happened to you in the past, you're in a good position to be able to minister to people now that you're saved because you have an understanding, your experiences. And so I'm going to ask you, what experiences have you got that are going to shape your ministry? What spiritual experiences have you had? That's one, obviously. But here's another one. What painful experiences have you had? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. What educational experiences have you had? God can use that. What ministry experiences have you had? You see, experiences will help form 
our ministry shape. Everyone say shape. All right. Now let's go to spiritual gifts. It was the first one. So S is spiritual gifts. H was heart. What do we love to do? What is our heartbeat? Eight is A is abilities. P is personality. E is experiences. But S is spiritual gifts. And God has given many gifts to the church. Now, I'm going to focus on the spiritual gifts, but there are the ministerial gifts, or we could call, call them the five-fold ministry. They're gifts that steer the church, okay? Gifts that expand the church, like preaching, evangelism, missions, apostleship. Gifts that edify the church, teaching, leadership, pastoring, administration. These are gifts that steer the church. They're leadership gifts, ministerial offices. Then there's gifts that support the church. There's gifts that build up God's people, people that have the gift of mercy. Some people have the gift of mercy. Encouragement, intercession. Look at this, gifts that build up God's house, craftsmanship, music, hospitality. Gifts that build up God's work, service or helps or giving. In Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do with simplicity, he that ruleth or administrates or leads with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so these are gifts, gifts, gifts that steer the church, gifts that support the church. But the, the point I want to make is about spiritual gifts. Everyone say spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Paul said, pursue love and spiritual gifts. Pursue love and spiritual gifts. So we are to pursue or desire spiritual gifts. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read quite a lengthy portion of scripture here. It says, now there are diversities of gifts. So different kinds of spiritual gifts, but they all come from the same spirit. Okay. So the gifts of the spirit or spiritual gifts, the same spirit gives them. They're from the same source. And there are differences of administration. That is serving, but they all come from the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Why are these gifts given? To every man to profit with all. The gifts are given to profit the body of Christ or to benefit the body of Christ. For to one, here are the spiritual gifts, says nine of them, see if you can find the nine. For to one is given uh, by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits to another divers kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these, there's nine, but all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man, God divides them severally as he will. 
And so God is the one, it's the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. And these are spiritual gifts. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have spiritual gifts. You have them. God has given everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. And you say, well, where is it? Now, if I was, Bishop Downs asked for a cup of tea, he says, can I please have a cup of tea, Jonathan? Yes, no problems, Dad. How many sugars? He says, eight sugars. Well, you're going to be diabetic before we know it, but I go, to the, I go to the kitchen, I get the cup of tea, put in the eight sugars, bring it back to him. He says, thanks, Jonathan. He takes a sip, he goes, there's no sugar. Yep, I put eight in, I promise. I put eight, eight. He takes another sip. Nope, there's nothing there. You know what I'm going to tell him? Stir it up. You're not going to taste the sugar until you stir it up. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, there are gifts inside of you, Timothy, that came from the laying on of hands. And he said, Timothy, stir them up. And some of you got to stir up the gifts because you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got the gifts of the Spirit. You've got to stir them up. And when you begin to stir them up, then you'll begin to see. But if you're going to be content just drinking it without stirring it, then nothing's going to happen. But there are gifts that God has given you. You've got to stir them up. You've got to unwrap them. And so some, some people have received a gift or gifts. Some people neglect to use them. But here's the key. If you want to be used in the spiritual gifts, the most important thing is that you have a close relationship with God. Everyone say relationship. Now, there's a, a scripture that can trouble a lot of people in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. <coughs> Not every man that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, everyone say many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Prophecy is a gift, isn't it? One of the spiritual gifts. And you know, they prophesied and they did it in the name of Jesus. And they cast out devils in the name of Jesus. And they did many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. They're going to say, Lord, we've done all of these things. Then I will profess to them, or Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Whoo. How? They did it in the name of Jesus. Prophesying miracles, casting out devils in the name of Jesus. But let me tell you the answer why Jesus turned them away. He said, I never knew you. Gnosko, intimate knowledge. There was never a relationship. You had gifts. I gave you gifts, but there was never a relationship. And I believe the people in this scripture are the people that have ministries that make it all about them 
and not about the Lord. They have no relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus could say. I never knew you. Of course I knew about you, but hey, there was never any communion. There was never any relationship. You use these gifts without having a relationship with me. It was all about you. And so I encourage everybody, if you want to be used in the gifts, you need to prize your relationship. You need to cherish your relationship with God because I don't want to hear those words. I never knew you. And so all spiritual gifts must be operated in love and with, in wisdom. And just because God uses you in a gift doesn't mean you're the only one. I believe in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Otherwise, we have everybody playing the God card. God told me this, God told me that, and we can't disagree. You know, if someone comes to counseling, Brother Often, they say, God told me, my mouth is shut. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I can't outdo God. And I've heard lots of people say that for lots of reasons. That it obviously wasn't God. But in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Because if God can tell you, he can tell somebody else and can tell somebody else and let it be confirmed. And so we must remember that just because God uses us doesn't mean we're out and we're not under authority anymore. And also the Bible says we should do all things decently and in order. The first one is the word of knowledge. And I'm going to really hurry up and go through these things. You need to study these yourself. But the word of knowledge is when God gives you supernatural revelation of divine knowledge or insight into the, into the mind of God. The word of knowledge. It's, it's an unction from the Holy Spirit. You'll get that unction. It doesn't operate continuously. Just because you've got the word of knowledge doesn't mean you have knowledge about everything. You can have the word of knowledge and fail your maths test. <laughs> But there will be times that God is going to stir and you're going to begin to speak using the gift of the word of knowledge. And we know that the Apostle Paul reprimanded the church in Corinth for allowing confusion in their, in their church services. So just because you got the word of knowledge doesn't mean that you can just operate any time. The Bible says everything must be done decently and in order. The word of knowledge was in operation when Ananias and Sapphira when they lied, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied about selling their possessions in Acts chapter 5. And the apostle Peter came and he was operating the word of knowledge. And he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? They thought they had it covered up, but through the word of knowledge, it was exposed. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is supernatural revelation or insight into the divine will and purpose of God. A, a person who uses the word of wisdom can calmly trouble somebody with wise words. Words well beyond them. Wisdom that comes from God. The word of wisdom. Wise words straight from the throne of God. Everyone say the word of, word of wisdom. The next one is the discerning of spirits. Now, this is a super, supernatural revelation. These are spiritual gifts and insight into the realm of spirits. The discerning of spirits is able to detect whether the spirit is a human spirit. Yeah. 
Sometimes things can be done purely under the human spirit. Flesh. That is just flesh. It's not of the devil. It's not of God. They're just emotional. It's flesh. Or discerning of spirits can say, that's the demonic spirit. Or it is the spirit of God. To discern the spirit, it can detect the motive behind something. The spirit behind something. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. So they're going to be spirits that are not of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are going to be many false prophets and you've got to make sure that you have discerning of spirits to know, are they operating in a flesh spirit? Are they operating? Yeah. Some prophets can operate under a demonic spirit. I'll tell you something, it might scare a bit of a couple of you. But I was in uh, Varanasi and Varanasi is quite a dark place. And as I was preaching, this man came out of, the, out of the crowd and he came up to me and looked like he was going to tackle me or something. But he creeped up to me and he grabbed my legs. If anyone knows Matthew Taylor, he was with me. He was standing behind me on the guitar playing. And um, I'm, this guy grabs my legs and I'm thinking, what is he doing? I didn't feel comfortable about it. But he grabbed my legs. Nobody else did anything. So I'm thinking, he's not going to hurt me. He grabbed my legs. And then he, he began to hold. And I could see that he was troubled. There was something about him. And then I rebuked him in Jesus' name. I rebuked that spirit. And he began to speak in tongues. Now, in Hindu, there is also speaking in tongues. And he's speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues. And I knew straight away, that is not the Spirit of God. And so I rebuked it again. And his eyes rolled back in his head and he laid on the ground like he was dead. The young fellow behind me, he's looking like this. I said, just keep playing and worshiping God and praying. Anyway, the guy just laid there like dead. The next... We, we tried to pray with him. He just dead. Anyway, the next service, I'm preaching again. And he comes out of the crowd again. And he does the same thing. He grabs me by the legs again. And this time, I rebuked him again. And then, yeah, he started speaking in tongues. Then I rebuked him again. And he went quiet. And then I began to pray. And, and suddenly you could see his demeanor beginning to change. And the demon came out of him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was joy on his face. Because, oh, he's got the Holy Ghost. Oh. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was a lying spirit. You've got to have discerning of spirits. No nightmares, guys. <laughs> divers kinds of tongues. Everyone say divers kinds of tongues. This is sometimes confused when we are first filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are first filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we will speak with other tongues. But this is the gift of tongues. Divers kinds of tongues. Now it's a gift that is used for the edifying of the church, 
just like the other eight gifts of the Spirit. It's used to edify the body of Christ. And so there can be a time, an appropriate time in a church service when God begins to move on you and you've got the the gift of tongues. I know everyone, every, spirit, every spirit-filled believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, but some have the gift of tongues and they will speak out in tongues. It's a message for the church. Now, the next gift is the interpretation of tongues. Now, that gift of tongues must only be operated if there is an interpretation of tongues. Because to speak in tongues in church with no interpretation, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, it profits nobody. You're edifying yourself. But the body's not being edified because nobody can understand what you're saying. And so when, when you're caught up in the spirit and you're speaking in tongues, it's doing nothing for anyone else around you because they can't understand you. And it brings confusion to the church. They're like, is this person operating the gift of tongues or are they just praying in tongues? And so in church, when there's a quiet time, when, when, we're, when, when everyone's loud and worshiping loudly and all that, you may pray in tongues while you're worshiping God to yourself. But when things go quiet, then you have to go quiet. Unless you're operating the gift of tongues. And when you operate the gift of tongues, there'll be somebody that will interpret. And you know what? Then the body is ministered to. These two gifts, they work in conjunction with each other. And so if you're going to be operating the gift of tongues, then you need to read 1 Corinthians 14 because there are right and wrong ways. Why? Because it's a public gathering. And if everybody is speaking in tongues when a guest comes into church, this is what Paul says, they're just going to think you're mad. But if there's an interpretation, then God can speak to them. And how many people have, have, have experienced that where God has spoken to you through a tongue and interpretation? Yeah, look at the hands. God has spoken through a tongue and interpretation. The next one is prophecy. Prophecy is speaking under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Prophecy can be preaching. Yeah? Prophecy is preaching. Speaking under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's not just foretelling. Everyone thinks prophecy is foretelling, telling the future. Yeah, that's prophecy, telling what the future is going to be. You're speaking under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Or you're speaking to somebody, revealing things in their life under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But preaching also is prophecy. And so prophecy must always coincide with the Word of God. When, if you attempt to sidestep the Word of God in order to present your spiritual utterance, then you're totally out of the will of God. The Bible says, let the prophets judge. And so if you're gonna be a prophet, you're open for judgment from the other prophets and everybody else who might not even be a prophet, they can pull out their Bible and say, prophecy doesn't line up with the Word of God, they're a false prophet. You're in danger of the judgment of God when you start saying you're prophesying, but you're outside of the word of God. The gift of faith. Everyone say faith. I've seen the gift of faith used many times. People that have extraordinary faith. Brother Aaron, I'll never forget when your car broke down. I don't remember who you were with, maybe Brother Josh. They were together. They were pulled up on the side of the road. They were standing there with their bonnet up. They're looking at the engine. Something's wrong. It wouldn't start. 
and my embarrassing mum. She pulls up next to them. She says, what's up, guys? She goes, the car won't start. We can't figure out what's wrong with it. They're just standing there in the hot summer's day. And my mum said, well, lay hands on it. Now, Aaron and Josh, I mean, as spiritual as they are, they didn't look too keen to lay hands on the engine. But I guess because the pastor's wife asked, they reluctantly lay hands on the engine and prayed. Mum said, now get in the car and start the key. They turned the key and guess what happened? Vroom! <laughs> now, I certainly didn't have faith that that was gonna start, Mum. But somebody had faith. They had the gift of faith. And, and there are people that have the gift of faith. The gifts of healing. When, people, when they pray for people, people can be healed. And healing isn't just sicknesses. There are people that have the gift of healing to minister to somebody that is emotionally unstable. Have you ever thought of that? Mental health, the gift of healing, to be able to minister to someone that's out of their mind, the special anointing to minister to someone that's depressed or downtrodden, the ministry of healing. The, it says the gifts of healing. And then the last one is the working of miracles. Supernatural power where the, where the unnatural happens. Miracles, instant miracles. And so healing can happen over time, but miracles happen in instant. And it's not always just healing in your body. Any type of miracle, the gift of miracles. And so I've come to tell you tonight and to remind you, and I've gone over time, please forgive me. I obviously don't have the gift of timeliness but I committed myself to nine things to discuss. (laughs) We all have a call to ministry. We all have a different shape, but we are all called to do something for the kingdom of God. And I believe that the church is very much hamstrung or very much limited because we are limited in our thinking about when it comes to ministry. Oh, it's pulpit, it's singing playing an instrument, something like that. No, think about your shape. Think about the spiritual gifts God has given you. Think about your heartbeat. Think about your abilities. Think about your personality. Think about your experiences and begin to pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to serve? Because I don't want to be served. I want to serve. Amen. Let's stand. Praise God. If anyone would like a copy of the notes I've shared tonight, I really have gone through it very quickly tonight. Forgive me for that, but a lot of content that I wanted to cover, but it's very important, the call to ministry. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for everyone that's here, everyone that's joined us online for this Bible study. We thank you for our children's ministry, the young boys, the older, the young girls, and the kids club, Lord God. We pray, we thank you for those that have taken the time to teach and to instruct in those groups. Now be with us until we come back on the weekend, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. 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 God bless you in Jesus' name.